Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 89 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is uh, someone that comes to us from my friends over at Speak On Podcasts. His name is Bo Bravo. Now, Bo has always focused on people, helping them tackle their business problems as if they were his own. He retired from the U.S. Army as Chief of HR Operations with White House Communications Agency and Presidential Communications Officer for both Presidents Bush and Obama. Since then, he has had several executive positions, including most recently Vice President of Human Resources at the National Spine and Pain Centers and founder of Hale Media Group. He also previously co-founded a consulting agency that assisted government contractors in HR strategies and contract proposal efforts. Bo received his MBA from the University of Michigan's Raw School of Business. He is a professional speaker and author of the book, From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, Leading Organizations to Values-Based Results. He's also a fellow podcaster uh, and co-host the Bo and Luke Show podcast. Now, I have some links to that podcast in the show notes here, uh, but I think you're thoroughly going to enjoy this interview with Bo. He's got some great experience around the realm of communications and experience in high-level positions, so what he brings to the table will definitely help you in your organization. So with that in mind, I'm going to close my mouth and let you get right into this outstanding interview with Bo Bravo. All right, listeners, welcome to uh, this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. My guest today is Robert Bo Bravo. Bo, thanks for being with us today. Uh, thanks, Earl. I appreciate it. Oh. Great to be here. <laughs> no, I'm happy to have you here. I'm really excited about this one because uh, we got a lot of uh, a lot of shared passions here, and I think this is going to be a great conversation. Uh, but to get awesome. you going, uh, to get you going, I want to start you off where I start everybody, and I'm really interested to hear your answer to this question. Okay. When you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to you? Yeah, to me, that that is a great question. Uh, and based on the title of your podcast, I was actually thinking about I was thinking about that earlier not knowing you would ask that question. Uh, burden of command to me represents the, the, the person who is, you know, if we're talking military, in command, the commander, business, we're talking the CEO. Uh, it's the level of responsibility and accountability that they have as the person sitting at the top. Um, I don't see it as uh, necessarily, you know, being a, you know, negative thing using the word burden. Uh, it's it's the burden of command to me is everything that you take on by being the individual that sits at the top of your organizational hierarchy uh, and everything that goes with it. It's unlike any other position in your organization. Uh, and and there's just a ton of things which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, that go uh, rest on that individual's shoulders. Uh, to accomplish and to get done and to, you know, be forward thinking and just a whole slew of things. Um, it's those burdens that rest with that individual uh, greater than anybody else in the organization. 
Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I like that 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 responsibility theme there, and uh, yeah, no, I, I I love that answer, and uh, you know. My listeners get tired of hearing me say that, but I love all the answers to that question. That's why I started this podcast. I wanted to ask as many people as I could what they thought about uh, that that phrase. So I, I love sure. it. Now, you, uh, as I kind of mentioned pre-roll in your bio, you are a busy individual. You, you've got a lot of things going on uh, between your, your speaking and, and consulting and uh, your coaching businesses and uh, your podcast, The Bo and Luke Show. And uh, your book, From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom. Uh, so let's start there, because those are very, those are three very distinct phases that somebody can go through. So let's start out with From yeah. the Battlefield, right? What's that all about? Yeah. The battlefield represents uh, my journey uh, in the military uh, that started for me when I was 17 years old, as a junior in high school and enlisted in the the Michigan Army National Guard. Uh, so I was a part-time soldier, if you will, for for the first six years as a six-year enlistment. And went through college uh, as a National Guard member and so forth. And I literally um, uh, graduated college, went to work. I only had a, a couple of years left on my enlistment. And I got out, and I was missing the uniform quite a bit. Uh, I was only out maybe nine months. And I went and joined the, the active duty army and 20 years later, uh, retired in 2013, but the battlefield time represents, uh, it, it represents as a whole that journey, but also includes time uh, in combat in Iraq, uh, and so forth. Uh, and it, and it, and it led me to, it led me to the time at the white house, uh, which was a profound time in my career. Yeah, no, I imagine because you served uh, two administrations, uh, President George W. Bush and President Barack Obama, uh, right. and uh, as a uh, chief of HR for the communications agency, right? Right. Okay. Right. Now that had to be uh, that had to be a very interesting, not only an interesting job, but bridging the gap between two uh, between two different administrations. Uh, uh-huh. how, how interesting was that? Yeah, it was it was definitely a fascinating time, and I I was fortunate to be there during that time period, uh, from one polarizing administration to another, and um, just so I always like to take just a, just a thirty seconds to educate listeners whenever I whenever I have a time opportunity to speak, uh, especially about the White House days. Uh, we all see the public facing aspect of the military supporting the White House, especially Air Force One, because anytime the president flies anywhere, you always see footage of the plane landing or the plane taking off. And you know that's the United States Air Force, and you'll see him flying in the helicopter, uh, and you know that's the Marine Corps. But uh-huh. in reality, yeah, there you go. And and in reality, and it's all, I don't talk, I never talk about classified information, but it's, it's all public, but you, sometimes you just don't know what to look for. Right. Um, the White House military office supports is the one supporting that. So operationally, Air Force One, uh, the Air Force falls under White House Military Office, HMX for the Marine Corps. Um, and then there's the White House Communications Agency, which was what I was part of. Uh, that's a, it's a joint agency made up of Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, and a Coast Guard, uh, Coast Guard members, uh, civilians, and so forth. And you've got Camp David, which is the Navy, 
uh, and so forth, White House Transportation. So you have all these organizations that follow, that are part of the White House military office supporting the president each and every day, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Uh, so lots of the things you never see on TV, but there's this group of this team, if you will, this machine that supports uh, the president directly, the office of the president, vice president, first lady, uh, and so forth. And I always like to take a moment to tell people that. So look it up if you have time, uh, White House military office, and you'll see everything that's happening from a military perspective supporting the president, which I think it's great. I always love to give shout, shout outs to those individuals because it's a, it's a very demanding duty, very demanding role, um, zero defect environment, if you will. Uh, so I definitely, definitely like to mention that. No, no, definitely. And I'm glad you did. And it's, you know, as you mentioned, zero defect and it's, it's, it's very rigorous to qualify for any of those jobs, just period. So the fact sure. that you were there, uh, speaks volumes of, of who you are, what your character is and how well you could perform your, your, your duties. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's awesome. And, and I love what you said there too, about kind of, uh, serving the two administrations. So I was uh-huh. kind of itching to ask you this question because, uh, one of my, my favorite people uh, is uh, Dana Perino. Uh-huh. And in her book, um, and the good news, I think that's it, and the good news is um, she talks about how there's this kind of public-facing Democrats versus Republicans kind of war going on. But right. when you're there kind of behind the scenes, they get along pretty doggone well. Yeah. Uh, was that your kind of experiences as well? Yeah. I, I think that... Uh, says it says it she said it really really well right it's the what you see on tv is not what you necessarily have happening uh behind the scenes in private and i i i even referenced that uh, an example of that in my own in my own book when i started out my chapter on the white house and i mentioned a story about the time when i had uh, opportunity to sit down with president obama and it's just me and him uh, together in an office in denver uh, doing radio interviews just a few weeks after after he took office for the first time. So this is literally uh, three weeks after his very first inauguration. And um, I, I, you know, I just put it out there, I'm like, because this is the story. It's about being able to work together and have this great opportunity. And if I'm going to share a message and something that I can inspire people with, uh, based on something different than they see on TV, I just put it out there and I said, look, I had this opportunity. Here's the story of me sitting there with President Obama. And as, as someone who, uh, identifies as a conservative and a Republican, at me as a person, this was the highlight of my life. This was the highlight of my career. Right. And I'm, right. And it didn't matter that, that President Obama was, you know, his political affiliation is he part of the Democrat Party. Number one, he's our president, right? He's the, he's POTUS. He's the commander in chief, the head of state, chief executive officer. This is, this is like a ultimate once in a lifetime type of opportunity for me to be sitting here with him and actually conducting the mission on behalf of my organization, my command. And oh, by the way, you know, millions of people are going to hear these radio interviews. And I had the opportunity to sit there and do that with him, uh, just the two of us. So it didn't matter. Um, political affiliation did not matter whatsoever. Um, that's just, you know, it's just a, it's a belief system. But in the end, you know, we're all, we're all together, one country. And, um, there's always going to be one party sitting at the top. 
uh, it changes. So you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta do your job to the best of your ability in order to move things forward. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I identify more conservative, uh, Republican. Uh, you know, I've come to realize I'm actually a little bit more uh, what they call uh, physically conservative, socially liberal. So I kind of ride yeah. the line a little bit. Uh, but yeah, in, in the late 90s, I was in airfield ops uh, in the Marines, stationed uh-huh. Marine Corps Station Fatima, and got a chance to meet uh, President Bill Clinton twice. Nice. Same thing, you know, yeah, same thing. He he actually penned a Corporal Chevrons on on a friend of mine. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, it was it was a cool little ceremony there. But you know, you, you're right. It's it's that respect for the office. But there's there's a lot of lessons there for you know just your everyday leaders right. with being able to have those types of conversations and interactions with people who may not 100 percent agree with us, whether it's philosophically or even in principle, right? Right. No, you're, that is absolutely true. So, um, you know, even when taking, taking on, uh, you get all these people and I'm thinking transition from president Bush to president Obama. So the, the Bush team, the, the individuals that come with the administration and go with the administration, they're out. And now you're, you're basically onboarding, almost like a company onboarding these new people. Uh, and it's the, it's the people that were with, let's say with president Obama as he's campaigning. So his campaign team, and then some of them join him inside the white house and, and join his staff. Uh, you know, you have to approach that. And, and the way we approach that is number one, we have a job to do. We have to onboard these people. We have to make sure that they're set up for success. Uh, and what our, and what our role is with all of this. And it's like bringing new people into your company that, re, you know, you don't know how they think necessarily, but it doesn't mean you treat them differently because uh, everybody needs to be, onboarded and set up and, and and set up for success given the resources they need to the, do their jobs to the best of their ability and so forth and all of that all of that political uh political stuff uh behind the scenes behind the scenes kind of just it kind of just fades away uh that was my experience so i i agree with dana on that uh 100 because you're all there uh, you're all there to accomplish a mission and you just, just like you would normally do in your neighborhood, you just, you start building new relationships uh, with the new people that came on board and, and you do, you build relationships. That's what happens. And you build trust and confidence in each other. And, you know, your team's doing a certain job for them and, you know, you make sure that your team performs well and they build trust and confidence in your team. And it's, it's a truly, it's a truly amazing thing to see. And it's one of those things I almost wish like more of that was public. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, instead of this this kind of sharp divide, you know, I, I remember uh, I remember growing up uh, watching uh, President Reagan and the the you know kind of epic battles you will between him and uh, Tip O'Neill, uh-huh. and you know by all accounts they were fairly decent friends after everything happened, but. You know, again, bringing it back to kind of everyday business, that that's a very valuable skill to have because you know, I remember reading a book on Intel and, and they had a policy, I want to say it was called Disagree But Commit. Mm-hmm. And, and the point behind it was, is when you were in the, in the meeting discussing policy, you had an obligation to disagree as much as you possibly could. But as soon as the decision was made, you had an obligation to commit to the decision that was made. Yeah. And any deviation from that was not taken well. 
Yeah. I, I love that. I think that is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that, you know, even in your military, and thank you for your service, by the way. You as well. Um, uh, I appreciate that. If you, if you even think about, uh, you know, even in a, in a command environment or, um, a combat environment and you have, uh, one of the, you know, great characteristics of on the high performing team is where there is that open communication to disagree, to put different ideas out there. But there, like we talked about earlier, one of the burdens of command is there's somebody sitting at the top who has the ultimate responsibility to make the decision. And it's the same in business. So if everybody's empowered and you've got a high performing team and people, they disagree, they bring out different ideas uh, and so forth, then that individual makes the decision. Uh, that's the decision that that team takes then and executes. So, you know, think about the commander on the battlefield. They decide in the end, okay, this is you know, this is the route we're going to take, or this is the position we're going to take, or we're going to flank right, flank left, and this is how we're going to, uh, let's say, attack the enemy in a, in a certain way or from a certain vantage point after they've considered all of the information, all the disagreement, everything that's been presented, and then they make that decision. That team doesn't then go out and do something different. Right. They go out and execute what they just decided to do because they know the commander has that ultimate uh, authority, uh, and they listened to everything that was being presented, and then they made a decision. And that's why I love, uh, Earl, I love when I'm talking with business leaders, uh, or even even more mid-level managers, uh, in, in training and consulting and developing them uh, in their decision-making process and how you might present, uh, how you might present something to uh, an executive in your company if you need them to make a decision. So I kind of modify the military decision-making process and say, this is, you know, presented and this is what's happening. Here are, here are different types of solutions that we could go and could use going forward. Here's what I recommend. You, what you recommend might be in disagreement with what the executive thinks. Um, and in, in the end, they might pick a different solution that you presented or something else. Uh, but you did your diligence in presenting the information and presenting, um, maybe the problem, the potential solutions and what you think you should do moving forward uh, to do what it is that you need to do. Uh, but in the end, you understand and you respect that that leader has the responsibility, has the burden to make the final decision. And then you go back and based on that decision, um, you execute your piece with your team uh, in order to succeed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what you can't do is go back and say, Hey, this is what uh, this is what Bo said we're going to do. I don't agree with it, but we're going to do what they said to do because you know they're right. the boss, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and how many times yeah, have you heard people? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and I've I've heard that I've heard that a lot. And every time I was ever in a position when I heard it, I would I would do my best to nip it nip it in the bud because you, you just can't have that kind of dissent. Because I'll tell you when when you're thinking about. Um, or even when I read people's profiles, resumes, you know, and they say they build high-performing teams, um, or how do you get to a high-performance team? Well, those are one of that's one of the characteristics that you just said that will certainly not get you there. Um, when you have people on your team that then lead those types of meetings and uh, decision-making processes, and then they go back and say, "Well, you know, Bo or Earl said this is not we're going to do X. I don't agree with it, but we got to do it." Man, you just tanked. You just tanked motivation. You were not inspiring. In any way, shape, or form, you definitely aren't showing that you're part of the team, right? right. Um, it, 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 it's you're more or less demonstrating you're disgruntled, and that doesn't help anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely, 
Absolutely. So you, you moved from the battlefield to the White House, and then you made the transition to uh, to the boardroom, right? Yes, the corporate uh, boardroom rep- represents uh, corporate my my transition and my time in corporate America to date. And um, yeah, so the only reason really that I left the White House because I retired I retired from the Army, so then that that ended that, and um, I went out into uh, into the corporate world as a VP uh, of Human Resources, and uh, opened my own staffing company. Uh, I had that going for a few years, supporting government contractors in the Washington D.C. area, and um, then I had an opportunity to get into get into healthcare uh, in in companies that were uh, heavy into mergers and acquisitions. Um, so more of a national national presence company that had uh, operations in multiple states uh, and perform uh, as the VP of HR for those companies and uh, get involved in the acquisitions and onboarding onboarding large groups of people, you know, bringing them into into your company versus onesies and twosies and doing all the analysis behind behind the deals that were happening and the impact to the people, the culture, how you're gonna how are you gonna integrate um, this culture, this group of people into your company when, you know, you might have different values, different belief systems, and how do you bring all that together? Uh, and I found that to be a very, a very cool opportunity to jump into. So I did that. Um, and then last year I went back out on my own, uh, with Hale Media Group, uh, and keynote speaking and launching the book and launching the podcast. And we just launched an e-learning platform, uh, for HR recertification. Uh, continuing education for the HR professionals, and um, looking forward to a bright 2021. <laughs> well, aren't we all after 2020? Yeah, aren't we all? For sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, but it's interesting. And again, I, I love the title of the book because uh, you know it, it identifies those kind of three distinct phases. But you know, we're talking about we talk a lot about leadership, both of us. Uh-huh. In your experiences, I'm very curious to hear, in your experiences, in those three different phases, how much did leadership actually change? Like the things that people looked for in a leader, the things that were expected from you as a leader, how much did those things actually change? Um, I think that, you know, if we start from the battlefield and and from a military perspective prior to getting to the White House, uh, it it didn't. It didn't change much get, when I got into the White House because I think it, it even. Um, well, the change would have been. Here's what's expected of you as a leader, you know, on a normal military or army organization. But now you're here in this DoD Department of Defense organization, and it's actually um, expanded. Uh, it's more, more rigorous, more arduous. Uh, it can be very. Um, it's almost even though you have a plan and and so forth. You have to be able to deal with crises um, on a on a regular basis. So, uh, from that perspective, having been on on the battlefield and in combat, and which is definitely a crisis leadership type of situation, taking that uh, and adding to that, once I got into the White House and leading teams uh, for the president and what I called earlier zero defect environment, where you have to be leadership has to be as sharp as you know as sharp as a knife, and you have to be you have to be on your game uh, all the time. And oh, by the way, you have, I think what happened there for me, Earl, is 
coming to the full 100% realization of what it really means to empower your people. Mm. Because uh, we had, like my communications team, if it's a state, if it's a, some type of event for the president in the United States, the team was about, um, say, 15 to 20 people. Um, and then I was the I was the communications officer leading the team, uh, but I had audio and I had an audio visual group. I had a radio and satellite group. Um, I had the IT folks. So about four, five different small two and three person teams that made up the whole group, and they each had they each had their roles and responsibilities uh, in making sure that in the, we would set up we would get to the site about seven days before the president. So you got seven days to get ready, six and a half, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way for one person or two people or three people to to do all the work across all those um, skill sets. So you had to you had to empower um, those those managers, those leaders, those individuals on those on those smaller teams to do their job, but then put in all the things you need to do as a leader for communication and check ins and and trust but verify um, every single day uh, that they were that they were doing what they needed to do, that they were reporting any problems that they had, so that you were finding resolution to those issues, so that everything would be ready for when the president arrived. Um, and you build you build this super good group, uh, what I would call with resiliency, um, high skill levels, and they had their own uh, depth of leadership abilities and. Uh, and just the, the attitude of, well, I mean, you said it earlier about, you know, this we make this decision, this is what we have to do. Then everybody everybody puts their arms around that decision and moves forward um, without dissent, like no dissent whatsoever. Everybody knows that we have the president showing up uh, on this particular day and we have these events that we have to do with him and and it can't fail. It just cannot. There's The option, failure is not an option. Um, so empowering your people becomes so important in building that trust and confidence with them uh, because you just, if you don't, man, it's just going to be hell for you um, as the leader. There's just way too much. Those burdens of command uh, are so great that you have to have that team around you um, and empowering them, giving them the resources they need, um, checking on them, communicating with them, being transparent with them, all of those, all of those things that we talk about in leadership, um, just become uh, super, super glorified in those moments uh, in that organization. Uh, I learned so much from that, uh, but then taking that into corporate America, completely different, different game. I think there's a lot of things people talk about in leadership and what they think it is or what they think it isn't, and it's only in those rare circumstances where you find individuals. Um, who seem to seem to have the right vision for leadership, understand the difference between leadership and management, and can actually actually glean some pretty incredible results for their companies. Um, and I always you know, I always look at that too, and I'm sure you experienced this in the Marine Corps. You know, the military services have formal leadership development programs mm-hmm. uh, that that you know if you spend a 20 year career or more, you've been through at least individuals like myself, you've been through numerous leadership courses, you know, that may have been months long, taken out of your organization, you were trained, tested, put back into your organization to execute and implement everything you learned. 
And oh, by the way, your organization is full of senior mentors who have been through the same development that you've been through. So you have you have all these built-in coaches and mentors right in your organization to help you uh, implement and execute and get better at all the stuff you just learned. And then, you know, all so it's profound. Corporate America doesn't have that for the and, most part. And that is a tragedy because I agree with you 100%. I don't know how many times I, I, I go, like for me, one of the first uh, kind of eyeball tests I do when I work with a, uh, uh, with a civilian leader is I look at the bookshelf. Uh-huh. And I look to see how many leadership-related books are on their shelf. Yeah. And it's usually a red flag for me. The, the, the flag gets redder the more books I see. Uh, because of what you just said, like I, I was working with one uh, individual, and we were working together over the span of, of about a year. And every time I'd walk into to his office, there was a new book on the desk, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And when he asked me for feedback, I, I gave it to him. I said, are you sure you want to hear what I got to say? He said, oh, absolutely. It's, it's why I brought you in. I said, you got to stop reading books. Said, really? You, you read them too fast. You don't understand what's being said. You don't yeah. have a chance to digest the information that you're taking in. At best, you can regurgitate it, but you don't really understand it and you haven't personalized it. It's not your leadership style. You'll yeah. read a John Maxwell book and you'll try to lead like John Maxwell. You read a Simon Sinek book and you'll try to lead like Simon Sinek. Yeah. You got to figure out your leadership style. These things aren't cookbooks. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I have never heard that like, put like that before, but I, I'm going to steal that. I love that. <laughs> there you go. It was my gift to you. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, and, and trust me, it, it's not about the books. I mean, I've got a yeah. bookshelf full of books here that I've read over a course of a long period of time, but they're, yeah. they're trying to close that gap that you were just talking about, about not having a leadership development program being thrust into a leadership role. And now, oh crap, I got to learn how to lead people. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. And that, that, um, it brings home for me, uh, I keep this book on my, um, on my desk and it's the army leadership manual. I mean, hard copy, hard copy book. And because it's, it's, it's the development that I went through, it, it, it formed the, it formed the basis and the foundation. And I, you know, and I, I was blessed that I started that, or at least I think so from a leadership perspective, that journey at such a young age, at age 17, uh, and being exposed to that and, and sticking with it for, you know, 26 years total, that now today I, I can, and I do too, I have plenty of books on my bookshelf and I, I wrote a book for the very purpose of trying to help others. Um, but I can read the books and apply what I'm, apply what I'm reading to, the foundation that I already have and, and knowing who I am as a leader and how, you know, where my values are, how I treat people, what I expect that I would do in the leadership position, how I actually behave and demonstrate when I'm in a leadership position and so forth. Uh, so it's just, it's adding, it's adding, you know, nuggets, if you will, from the books that I read. Uh, but the way, the way you put that was perfect. Well, yeah, no, I mean, and it would thank you for that. I always like taking compliments from army guys. It makes me feel good about myself, <laughs> uh, but no, but I mean, it's, it's a valuable point that we're talking about here for anybody who's, who's listening, who, you know, no matter if you're in an established business or if you're an entrepreneur on your way to building the next uh, SpaceX, 
taking that time to invest in leadership development along the way can save you a lot of headaches in the future because you don't have to have that kind of uh, information, uh, the information water hose uh, turned on your leaders. You can build these building blocks like Bo and I have experienced through our careers. And it's like, you know, to me, I think that's one of the worst things you can do is hand somebody a Simon Sinek book and say, here, go lead. Because it's like, it's like starting somebody off in college at a PhD level course. Right. It's, it's not going to work. And it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. You know, a great example um, of that and uh, that look, the, a company that learned that lesson, uh, but they, but they took amazing steps to address it. Uh, the forward, the forward of my book was written by Mike Barger. He's co-founder of JetBlue Airways. Mm-hmm. And, He's a professor at University of Michigan now, which is where I met him. Uh, but and former Navy Top Gun pilot, chief instructor. So I, I always call him the real, the real Tom Cruise, if you will. <laughs> nice. Um, but he, he, and I write a little bit about. I write about this in the book. When they started this company, uh, JetBlue, and they they started growing uh, really fast. And so they're hiring, they're hiring all kinds of people. And uh, within the first couple, I think it's within the first few years, Earl, they got into this, and for everyone listening, this situation where they hired all these people, and, and he used the example, and, it, and this was a real thing that happened. Uh, you have these baggage handlers, and they realize that somebody has to be in charge, right, of this of this team of baggage handlers. And these these teams, of course, are at all of the all of the airports that they operate at, and um, so they started promoting people. So like today. You know, Earl, you and I are on the same team, and tomorrow you're the leader of the team. Right. And all of a sudden, you're expected to to lead these people, and now you're being you're being handed these situations. And like the one situation that really kind of it, it actually came out through uh, an employee survey that they did. Um, one of the other team mem- members was a single mother, and you know they couldn't get their kid on the bus until a certain time in the morning which actually happened to be the same time the shift was supposed to start. Now, this person was was a great, great employee, high performance, but she couldn't get to work on time. There was just like no way she could get there by 8.30. She could be there by 9, right? right. But, this, and, but this particular new supervisor who just got promoted into this position with zero, I mean zero leadership training, right, mm-hmm. had no clue how to handle, not, not one clue on how do I handle the situation, right? What am I going to do? Not a clue. Um, so I made them realize that they didn't have leadership principles. They didn't have they didn't have uh, solid values in their system. They didn't have training, and to, and they went on to create um, this great big training center today. That well, today it's in it's outside of Orlando. It's one of the uh, I think said it, they're the only airline that that has this in house fully. Um, staffed resource training facility and they send everybody there for training and they send people out of the company out of their roles to go teach there for like two or three months at a time then go back to their job um where they they teach all of it they teach leadership they do all of that so it's a very formal in-house um function and you know you think about it jet blue is not even 30 years old um so People that get it, you know, they do things like that, but there just isn't a lot of that in in corporate America today. Well, you, sadly, again, you're right, and, and sadly, it's not even just America. Um, Pew uh, published a study, pretty sure it was Pew, 
I think it was four or five years ago, and they had something like 2,300 respondents across the globe. And they essentially asked them two, uh, two major questions. One, what was the, the age that you were first promoted into a leadership role? And two, what was the age that you received your first formal leadership training? Wow. And what they found out was the answer to the first question, the first time that you were in a uh, promoted into a formal leadership role, was somewhere in the early 30s, like 32, 34. Uh-huh. The answer to the second question was a decade later, somewhere around 42 wow. or 44. So there's this 10-year gap where they're trying to, uh, you know, trying to uh, learn on the job, uh, uh-huh. trying to fill that gap with books and podcasts and things like that. And again, I love books. I love podcasts. I've got one. You've got one. I highly yeah. recommend everybody listen to both. But it's not the same because you don't have those foundation skills that we were talking about. So right. uh, I, I wish it wasn't such a global epidemic, but it is. Yeah, uh, that is, um, that is, wow, that's truly something. And, you know, when you think about it, then by the time you get to in your early 40s and you've got that 10 year gap and you get into those formal programs, um, it's almost like things have to be undone before they can be redone. It's kind of like a soldier you know, person going into boot camp, um, you know, you're a civilian and they, you know, drill instructors have to break you down. They break everybody down to a common level and then they build you all back up as Marines or soldiers or airmen or sailors. Um, and that's, you know, leadership development. And that's, that's what's gotta, gotta take place. Um, because like you said, they'll, they'll just have nuggets. They'll have things that not truly understand how to implement what it really means. Are they analyzing it against who they are as an individual um, and how they how they perceive uh, leadership uh, and what their personal beliefs and values are? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It, it really is. And I think that, um, you know, it, it, it's something that I, I wish more companies would would take take under their wing is, is to seek the seek the I don't say experts, but seek the people who have, who have been doing it for for years and who have the the background in doing so and, and have all the, the development, the formal development, not just that, but the, but the actual real world uh, experience uh, to bring them in and, and help their teams, help their people. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I, I had a guest on a previous episode, Matt Lewis, uh, who specializes in, in uh, helping organizations uh, get their veteran hiring programs up and running. Uh-huh. And, and that was the exact conversation we had there was, you know, this is what most veterans. Now, we have our 10 percent, just like every other uh, every other sector out there that you, sure. know, you wouldn't want to hire. Um, but, you know, most veterans, when you hire them in, if nothing else, if absolutely nothing else, you get those leadership skills and you can build yeah. a lot around that foundational skill set. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, every chance I get to to talk about things like that and, and the, the value of of hiring uh, veterans, you know, it's the intangibles, the leadership that you that you get from that automatically. It's like you didn't have to, as a company, you didn't have to pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for a decade of leadership training um, because they got it from the they got it from the military, and then you're going to reap all the rewards of that uh, when you bring them into your company. Uh, and then if there are the technical skills can be taught uh, if there's skills that they're missing or lacking, but it's the it's the leadership stuff that that you're just not gonna you're not gonna find as easily um, 
without individuals like that. Yep. And that's a, that's yeah. a huge boost. I mean, because, you know, when you, when you look at that and we talk about those companies that are, that are missing that, those are usually the ones that, you know, have culture issues. Uh, they have diversity issues. They have inclusion yeah. issues. They, they are more likely to be the, the, the organization you see on TV for all the wrong reasons versus all of the right reasons. 100%. Yeah. And it goes back to that old uh, that old saying. It gets attributed to Henry Ford a lot, where you know there's two managers talking, and one person asks, uh, uh, you know, well, what happens if we spend all this money training them and they leave? And the other one says, what yeah. happens if we don't spend this money training them and they stay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that may have even uh, people trying to attribute that to. Uh, I've seen that on on memes around Steve Jobs as yeah. well from Apple. Um, he probably took it from Henry Ford, but that's a true, that's a very true statement. Right. Yep. It is. It definitely is. So, you know, if you're, uh, if you had any advice for an organization right now that's sitting here and, and they've heard us talking and we, we've, uh, uh, kind of given them a, uh, what they call from, uh, from Tennessee where I'm from a come to Jesus moment. Um, and they're like, Oh crap, I don't have a leadership development program. What's a good place for them to start? Yeah, I think they could, you know, in a nutshell, I think they could call you or me. And I think that, uh, you know, I think there's there's people uh, like us uh, that are that are in the business of of providing leadership development programs for their companies or for companies. Uh, I think that is I think that is incredibly important. And I would I would recommend to anyone listening uh, when you're going to do it because here's. Uh, even when I was, I didn't see the Pew studies, but even when I was doing research for, for, uh, my book, um, and I was just reviewing, uh, studies on the, the leadership development industry as a whole globally. And, you know, it's, it's a hundred billion dollar plus industry, lots of money being spent, um, with very little results. And I think, I think it's the, you know, when you're talking to somebody, uh, if you're a CEO or a leader in a company and you want to do this type of stuff, and bring it into your company, you know, look at it, look at it from more of a long-term perspective. Uh, if you're going to contract with, uh, with a trainer, a leadership developer, you know, make it a, make it a longer term. It's not, it's not something that you're going to see huge, in my opinion, you're not going to see huge change, uh, and get the results that you're looking for. If it's a, if it's a one week, you know, one week ordeal or two week ordeal, you know, invest, uh, figure out your budget, invest in the time and the effort and uh, difference between, uh, well, it's inclusion of, you know, group training events, individual one-on-one leadership coaching type of, type of uh, activities uh, between the, between the trainer and your, the staff that you're training uh, and, and just commit to it because in the end, in the end, it goes right in line with the quote that, that we were just talking about, right? Is, the results, the ROI, um, is, is exponential over your over your competition, mm. um, and 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 you are you're making an investment in your in your people, and the delivery back uh, to the company uh, will be will be exponential. You know that's the the subtitle of my book: leading organizations to values based results. So when you have you know, everything from a military perspective, in my opinion, is, 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 a, is a form of values-based leadership. And when you have that instilled in your, in, in your company, and some companies do, 
um, they see values-based results. And there are plenty of studies out there on that as well. And companies far surpass their competition in revenue, net profits, gross profits, uh, and so forth, uh, when they commit to those types of endeavors. No, I, I agree. And it's going to sound very self-serving, but I agree with you 100%. You know, you bring us in for a couple hours and check a box. Okay, fine. You bring us in for a week. You know, we may get a couple of people that are, are really quick learners that are 100% on board after a couple of weeks. But you bring us in for, for a year, Yeah, you know, we can make some real changes. And, and uh, so, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it does sound self-serving. But in, in reality, it's it's serving the company. Yep. Um, and when you talk about the burden of command, and you know CEOs, whether publicly traded or private companies, doesn't matter. They're the ones. They're the ones that have the burden of driving profitability for their company to keep it in existence. And leadership development um, and a commitment to it uh, can certainly uh, help that leader uh, achieve the results that they're looking for. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Bo, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, you have a, a lot of things going on. We talked about the book. Uh, we talked about those kind of three phases and talked about the leadership development. Uh, but as somebody who grew up on the Dukes of Hazard, uh, I, I got to find out a little bit more about the Bo and Luke show. So, uh, what, what's that yeah. all about? Yeah. So um, it is. It is kind of comical uh, that it's that it's Bo and Luke, and, and I get that often. You know, Bo and Luke do from the Dukes of Hazard. Um, but it is, you know, it is my name, and my buddy Luke was actually a, a business contact that I met years ago and hired his company uh, to do some recruiting and staffing work for the company I was working in, and we just hit it off, um, had a lot in common, you know, thought aligned aligned on some of our thinking and, and beliefs around uh, leadership and helping others uh, and so forth, and, and we just had an idea to, to start a podcast, and, and I tell you, we went through, as, as maybe you did, and different people, uh, when you're thinking about naming conventions and what do you want to name your podcast or what do you want to name your company and things like that. And we literally just settled on um, the Bo and Luke show and it, it, it has done it has done wonders for us. And it, it's been an incredible journey. We've had some amazing guests and, uh, you know, our motto is to be better, know better, do better. And and that has really uh, shaped and formed the content of what we're talking about on our show um, based upon the journeys of the guests, not only Luke and I, our own journeys, but the journeys, the life journeys of the guests we brought on the show. And uh, just trying to inspire others to uh, not give up, to go after their dreams, to keep at it. Uh, your, you know, life is, it's not a day. It's, it's, it's a long haul. It's a marathon. And, Get up every day and put your best foot forward. Sometimes you're going to fall down. Other days you're going to reach the mountain peak. And, you know, you just, if you have the right attitude, the right mindset, and you draw upon the experiences of others, you can really, uh, really stay motivated and inspired to, to keep giving it your all each and every day. Yeah. No, I, it, I've only had a, uh, the opportunity to sit through a few of the episodes. I want to, I want to get caught up because you have, I mean, you've had some really great guests on there and, and, uh, the one I found very interesting because uh, I just watched her on the show was and uh -huh. her name popped out of my head. Uh, the the lady uh, uh, that was on Shark Tank that had the yeah. uh, the was it Sarah. Fit Fighter? Yep, Sarah Apgar. Yep. Yeah, 
I mean, I remember watching her sales pitch on Shark Tank, and I'm like, that's a, a it's a great idea, but this is a lady yeah. who really knows her stuff. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So that was amazing. That you know, and former Army officer, uh, combat, you know, time in combat in a, in, uh, in Iraq, and um, when she, you know, in a nutshell, for everyone listening, when she got out of the Army, she was kind of missing the service and giving back, so she became a local uh, volunteer firefighter. And um, kind of led her down the road of, of creating this fitness product uh, that she debuted on um, Shark Tank and got a deal and uh, with one of the sharks. And it's just exploded ever since. And great episode. She's, you know, she's high energy. I loved her pitch on Shark Tank because it was all, I mean, super energetic. And she's, she, she did almost a whole workout. Um, and that was this season. So it's recent. It's current. Uh, it was it was truly fascinating. Had the opportunity to talk to her, um, and have her share her story and her journey, and you know the ups and downs and so forth is powerful. Yeah, definitely. And you know, for the listeners, if you haven't picked up on it yet, the the podcast is not about the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, so so just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, it's it's a good show, and I'm going to have a link to it uh, in the show notes for this show because I really highly I, and listeners, I want you to take this to heart. I highly encourage you to go over and subscribe and, and listen to the Bo and Luke show. Cause just a handful of episodes I've listened to, uh, very good stuff. You guys are doing a really good job over there. So keep it up. Thank you. Appreciate it. We just put, just so everybody knows, we just put, we didn't use to, to do this, but literally with last week's episode, we put the full video, full video recording on YouTube. Um, uh, and that was like episode 47 or 48, uh, since we started, uh, so hope to get some more traction. Uh, people can see the, see the guests and see them talking and so forth uh, and full video for the whole episode. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. That was uh captain. Um, captain T T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Captain T. That's what he goes by. Was it the, was it flight to excellence was the book? Yeah. That he just, that was just released. His book was just released. He's a, um, he was the first, the very first African American, uh, out of the state of South Carolina to get to the United States Air Force Academy. And yeah, and this is a gentleman who grew up during the civil rights movement and segregation and, you know, experienced as a, as a young high school freshman, you know, being the, being the African American student bust into an all white school and, you know, what that was like. But then, you know, imagine, imagine that. I, j- I just can't imagine it really and what that experience is and, and to be, uh, to still be so successful in, in his grades and, and, and so forth and playing sports in that high school and getting an Air Force Academy appointment, um, flying, becoming a pilot in the Air Force, and then getting out, becoming a Delta Airlines pilot, and then a small business owner and sold his business. And then he he led the, uh, the Air Force Academy Alumni Association for many years, and then he wrote his book. And um, just an amazing, amazing individual, amazing journey. Uh, we can all learn a lot from, from Captain Pete. Sure. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Bo, we've covered a lot of ground here in the last 50 minutes or so, but uh, is there anything we didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, I think, you know, the, the one thing that I'm all about, I, I said it briefly, was values-based leadership. So for anybody listening, or if you happen to pick up a copy of the book, when we talk, when I talk about values-based leadership. I'm literally talking about um, your core values of your company 
and taking the time to to write down and associate all the behaviors that you would expect to see from the CEO to the most junior person in the company that would demonstrate those values. When you've done that, you now have you now have this list of actionable items, demonstrated behaviors that you can infuse in your performance management, in your hiring process, in your job descriptions. And that's how you really start to find the best people. When you have that question where you're asked, you know, what's the best fit for your company or are you, or is this person going to be a good fit for your company? When you start asking those behavioral based types of questions and you know that, you know, this is what our company is all about and this is what we believe in and these are our values, uh, you'll really start to hum. Uh, as an organization and find the right people, the right talent. Uh, talent management, talent management's a big topic. Um, but to do it right, you gotta focus on the values and all the behaviors associated with your values, uh, so that you can, you can have one of those places that, you know, is, has a great culture, great workplace with people that, um, behave the way you would want them to behave when they show up to work every day. And, uh, that's, that's that. That's values-based leadership in, at a high level. Um, dive into it if you have an opportunity. I highly recommend it because um, it works. It works every time. Yep. And thank you. I appreciate the time to be on the show. Hey, no, I, I appreciate you taking the time to be on here. This has been a great conversation. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that uh, listeners have really kind of taken it to heart. Uh, looking to go buy a copy of your book, check out your podcast, and find out more about uh, you and uh, your buddy Luke. But, Let's make it easier on them. How are good ways for them to get a hold of you all and find out more about all of those various offerings? Sure. So there's there's our we have a website dedicated to the podcast, literally the bowandlukeshow.com. And then my personal brand uh, website is robertbravo.com. And from either of those sites, you can get all that all that we've just talked about. Um, best way to get in touch with me is is through the website at robertbravo.com. That's a B at the end. B-R-A-B-O, and uh, email, a phone number's there, contact form, book is there, you can buy it on Amazon. Um, try to make it as simple as possible. Outstanding, outstanding. I'll have those links uh, in the show notes for folks. Well, Bo, again, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate the discussion and uh, sharing every uh, everything that you have with us. It's been a, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. I really love it. Thanks, Earl. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, if you uh, have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you know how to reach out, burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any guest ideas, any stories, anything like that that you'd like me to uh, share, unpack, uh, feel free to uh, to put it there. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review uh, not only my show, but the Bo and Luke show as well, because, uh, you know, say on here before, but the way those algorithms work, the more reviews you have, the more listens, the more likes, and and uh, in, in their instance, the more times those YouTube videos get watched, uh, the, more, uh, the more visibility you have, and it helps those messages get spread between my guests and their guests. So you can help us spread these messages uh, further than we can do by ourselves. So, uh, keep that up. Really appreciate it. And with that, I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. 
I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast. Electrocast.